Praise the Lord, church. Oh, man. Praise the Lord, church. All right. I don't know about you, but I am super excited to be here Sunday morning to worship with you and to celebrate the birth of Christ. I don't think there's anywhere else I'd rather be than with this family uh, doing this together. So my name is Dennis Matthew. I'm a deacon at this church, and it's a privilege for me to come and share the word of God with you this morning. Uh, before I do that, though, I do want to ask a question. Have you all ever seen or experienced something that like just totally blew your mind? Have you seen or experienced something that was just so unexplainable that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't wait to tell people and articulate what you saw or try to tell people what you saw? So the thing that does this for me is magic. If you see a really good magic trick, it's like just mind-blowing. And I don't know if you've seen the last time David Blaine was on Jimmy Fallon. Did anybody see the last time David Blaine was on Jimmy Fallon? It was ridiculous. So David Blaine is a street performer, right? And so he just does, he doesn't have any big props. He's just standing there with you doing these tricks that are just unexplainable. And so he's standing there, Jimmy Fallon is there and the band members are there and Jimmy's standing with like all this excitement and it's like this nervous excitement because he knows that David is about to blow his mind, but he doesn't know where it's going to come from or how it's going to happen. And he's just standing there giddy like a kid, like he always does. And uh, David pulls out a deck of cards, and you can just see Jimmy's like about to explode. And it's just a deck of cards, and he shuffles the cards, and he tells Jimmy, hey, Jimmy, pick out five cards. Don't show anybody. Pick out five cards and hold them close to you. So he like cautiously picks out five cards. He pulls them up. He looks at them. And he says, I want you to think about one card. Think about one card. Don't tell anybody, think about one card. He's like, okay, great. And then David starts to guess every card he's not thinking about. He's like, hey, it's not the queen of hearts, so put that down. It's not the jack of spades, so put that down. Next thing you know, he has one card left, and he tells him the card you're thinking of is this. Somehow, <laughs> he guessed all five cards that Jimmy was holding mind was blown. The crowd is like in awe. I'm sitting there like, man, my mind can't comprehend what just happened. And then he, he does one, two, more tricks, and each trick is better than the next. And then David says, and then Jimmy says, hey, are you going to do anything for your special, something unique or different that's coming up, the special? And David looks at him and says, you know, have you ever heard the story about a man that was able to turn his stomach into an aquarium and where he was able to keep live animals in his stomach and call them up whenever he wanted. And Jimmy just looks at him dumbfounded. He's like, uh, uh, no, I, I'd never heard that story. I never heard it. And then David just casually grabs a glass of water in a crystal clear glass and starts drinking the water. And then he starts coughing a little bit and he drinks some more, he coughs a little bit more and next thing you know, he coughs up a live frog into the glass. And the frog is swimming in the glass. And everybody's just amazed. And then he grabs that glass, and then he drinks it down, live frog and all. It was one of the most amazing things, and my mind could not fathom what just happened. And I say this story all to say that there are four words in the Bible that give me that feeling of excitement and bewilderment. There are four words that just blow my mind, and even as I'm about to say them, there is a rush of excitement in my stomach. 
Those four words, I hope it's four words. There's four words. The word became flesh. Think about it. The word became flesh. I mean, my, the hair on my neck, and there's a lot of hair back there, is standing up. As I say these words, the word became flesh. And that's what I want to preach to you about today. And if we turn our attention to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, we see that John does a great job of bringing these words to life. The word became flesh. My hope is to cover three things, and I'm going to do them in the most do that in the most efficient way because I know we have about 80 kids in here, and it's like a powder keg about to explode any minute. But I'd like to cover three things. One is Jesus is God. Two is God dwelt among us. And three is how should we respond? So Jesus is God. God dwelt among us. How should we respond? Let's start with verses one and two. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know, the first verse of John starts just like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. John starts saying, in the beginning. And he does that because John wants us to think back, way back to the beginning, before creation, when it was just God. And what John wants us to understand was that Jesus Christ, before he took on flesh, he was God. The Father was God. The Spirit was God. There were three persons and one God. I know, this is mind-blowing. This is hard for us to understand. But John clearly articulates that Jesus Christ was not only with God, but he was God. And this is why we can say with Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 28, my Lord and my God. And so this is part of the Trinity. This is a truth of the Trinity that we need to understand. That not only was he a God or with God, that he was God, just like the Father and just like the Spirit. What I just stated is literally the depth of my knowledge of the theology of the Trinity. And so I don't plan to preach on that much further. If you have much more questions, we have three amazing pastors that can talk to you for hours upon hours. I know Pastor Binnu would love to do that after this service and talk to you about the theology of the Trinity. But what I do want us to understand, one thing this morning, is that from, he was there from the beginning. He was there from the beginning. And he didn't show up on the scene at creation. He didn't show up on the scene uh, at his birth. He was there all along. And he was there in the beginning with God and is God. But then we have to ask ourselves as we start to read this passage, why does John call him the word? Why does he just continuously call him the word? And many commenta- uh, some commentaries and others have said that Jesus is ca- John calls him the word because he wants, because his very existence is for communication. The very reason he exists is to communicate to us. God knew from the beginning how important effective communication is, right? I mean, we see that in everyday life. I mean, if we look at everyday life, we see the negative impacts of poor communication. I mean, I see that every day at work. I feel like half my job is like developing strategy and and roadmaps, and half my job is making sure people are talking clearly to each other and not talking past each other and letting people know that, hey, writing a 10-page email is not actually effective communication. 
When I get those emails, I read two lines and hit delete. That is not effective communication. Or in personal life, we see the challenges of poor communication and how it can cause hurt feelings and misunderstanding. I mean, just ask my wife. That's the story of my life. And I've quickly learned that speaking louder and louder and louder is not actually effective communication. That's all okay. But Jesus, Jesus Christ, is the epitome of effective communication. And so theologians and scholars have spent pages and pages trying to describe why Jesus is called the Word. But what I want us to do is just look at the simple story. There's a story of a Sunday school teacher, and he asked his class, hey, why is Jesus called the Word? Why is Jesus called the Word? And this little girl stood up with such wisdom and said, because he is everything God wanted to say. That's it. Because he is everything God wanted to say. It doesn't have to get more complicated than that. That's why in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that God spoke to us in many different ways in the past, through prophets and other means. But his final and clearest and most effective communication was Jesus. That's it. His final, clearest, and most effective communication was Jesus. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all communicate the love of God for us. His birth, life, and death communicate his unending love for you and I. His communication was clear when he was on the cross that the punishment of sin is death. But we see that he willingly took on that punishment for you and I. Jesus is called the Word because the Word came to communicate the love of God to you and I. So verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, Jesus is God. And as God, he is also the creator. I want us to understand that he, I want us to understand the gravity of these words, that he is the creator. He was not created. You know, we do find him born into a major. We do find that he was, that, that, that we're celebrating his birthday, but he was there all along. He was with God, he was God, and he is the one that did the creating. So yes, he's the one that created the sun and the moon and the stars. He's the one that created the beasts in the field and the birds in the air, the fish in the sea. You know, every species of plant and every species of bug, he is the one that created all of this. He is worthy to be praised today. He is the great creator. And most importantly, he created you and I. He created us. And because of that, he knows us better than anyone can ever know us. We can take hope and joy in knowing that our God, Jesus Christ, is our creator, and he knows us better than anyone can ever know us. You know, a simple example, if anyone were to buy a new car, where would you take that car if there's an issue? If there's an issue with that new car, you would take it to the dealer, assuming that they knew all the intricacies of the engine and the electronics and the computer system, and that if anyone was going to fix this car, it was going to be dumb. 
I know it's a dumb example, but similarly, Jesus knows us better. He knows who we are and what we are. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. He knows what it takes for us to thrive. He knows what it takes for us to fail. He knows how. He knows our biology. He knows our psychology. He knows our physiology. I don't even know what that word means, but he knows all about it. He knows us. Why is that so important? For me personally, it is so important because we serve a creator that knows us and we can continue to pray with hope. We can pray with hope because the creator knows us in a way that no one else knows us. And I say that to encourage those of you who may, have been, who may be praying for something for days or weeks or months and years and there's no answer. I can understand that. There's something I've been praying about for over 12 years now. Every single day I pray about this. I pray that God would heal Liz of her rheumatoid arthritis. She was diagnosed with this over 12 years ago, and I had no idea what this was. She started having pain in her joints. She started having trouble walking. She started having you know, pain that none of us could describe. And all I could think was, what is this thing and why was she diagnosed so young? But somehow, every day, she continues to serve our family, serve the church, serve Bombay Teen Challenge without any complaints. In the 12 and a half years, it's only gotten worse. And I look to my creator and ask why. You know, and it's, it's, it's challenging sometimes. I took up running two and a half years ago, and I run four days a week, and I average about 70,000 steps. I'm not trying to brag, I'm just telling you. <laughs> a week, maybe 80,000, sometimes 90. <laughs> but somehow Liz has a, over 100,000 steps every week, and most of those are in limping and in pain. And so I get up sometimes and I say, God, why? Why is this? And it's not easy. And we struggle. And, and sometimes we cry. But we continue to pray with the same fervor today as we did 12 and a half years ago. Because Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ is our creator. And Jesus Christ knows us in a way that no one else will ever know us. And I can't explain why we and she in particular is going through this, but I trust that he is the creator and he knows all. And I ask and plead to you, brothers and sisters, do not be discouraged today because we serve a great God. Continue to pray with the same fervor today as we did on day one. God will answer that prayer. He is our creator. So let's continue on to verse 14. So not only was he God in the beginning, and not only is he God, the creator, but even more still, consider what we are celebrating this morning, that even through all of this, God became one of us. He became one of us. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, the Father full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him and cried out that this is he, was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So what does it mean the word became flesh? It literally means that Christ, who is God, who created all things, came down to earth and was born like a baby, like you and I. But there was no glory in his birth. You know, many of us were likely born to more fanfare and more glory than Jesus was. Many of us were born in hospitals where we had, I don't know, things like doctors and nurses to help us versus Joseph, who was giving birth to this child. I don't know about Joseph's background or experience, but thank God that I was not entrusted to give birth to my two children. That would have been a total disaster. But that's, what, that's where we find Jesus, being born in a manger. And many of us, when we were born, had dozens upon dozens of family and friends and loved ones excited and ready to receive us. And we find Jesus being welcomed by a few stable animals, a, shep a few shepherds, and three wise men. His birth was low-key, to say the least. Not exciting, not over the top, not glorious, not something that we would expect for Jesus Christ, God and King, and soon to be Savior and Messiah. You know, what does it mean that Jesus became flesh, the Word became flesh? It means that this little boy grew to a man, and he dwelt among us. He dwelt in our midst and experienced the good, the bad, all of it. You know, it reminds me of a show Maybe some of you have heard it, uh, heard of it. Uh, it's called uh, Undercover Boss. Maybe you've heard of Undercover Boss. And so the show is about uh, CEOs of big companies, and they show up at their, you know, frontline location. It could be like an office or a construction site or a restaurant. And they show up just to be like an everyday employee, and they want to experience all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they're, and they're there, and they're just taking it all in. And at the end of the show, there's always um, this big reveal that, hey, all this time, this was the CEO. And I always wonder, who are these people that don't even know what their CEO looks like? But that's beside the point. Similarly, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came as a regular person, and he dwelt among us to experience all that we've experienced, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. And when he came, he experienced joy. He experienced sadness. He experienced friend, friend, friendships and loneliness. He experienced sickness and health. You know, when he came, he didn't come as a king to live in a castle. He didn't come to eat fine wine, drink fine wine, and eat fine food. You know, he didn't come to be served by servants at his beck and call. But rather, Jesus Christ came to serve. He was the ultimate servant. And we find him tirelessly preaching and teaching and sharing the love of God day after day, night after night. The crowds were pressing in, but he never sent them away. But rather, he is there to share the love of Christ. We find him doing miracle after miracle, serving the people, making the lame walk and the blind see, making the deaf hear and the dumb speak, 
We find him feeding the people, thousands upon thousands. In his ministry, he worked tirelessly. He was among the people. He was with the people. He was, you. He was one of us. What does it mean the word became flesh? It means that he died a gruesome death which carried with it no glory. You know, we don't see, we see that he was rather beaten and bruised. We see that he was ridiculed. We see that he was spit on. You know, we see ultimately that they put a crown of thorns upon his head and nail him to a cross. And ultimately he dies a lonely death. There was no glory in his death. But praise God that the story doesn't end there. What does it mean that the word became flesh? It means that because he was there from the beginning, because he is God, because he is the creator, that he rose again three days later with glory as the son of God, the father, full of truth and grace. Why? That we may live. This is the God that we serve. This is the God Jesus, that we celebrate this morning. So now you know why these four words excite me so much. Now you know why these four words, the word became flesh, is just so exciting for me to say, and it never gets old to me. Whether I say it once or a thousand times, I still feel that rush of excitement. Because he is God He is the word. He is the creator. He came down to earth and he dwelt among us. And so then we must ask, how do we respond? How should we respond today? Let's read verse 11 and 12 and 13. You know, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, we see in verse 11 that his own people rejected him. You know, they wouldn't or couldn't accept him as Christ and as Savior. They were literally waiting for a Savior for hundreds of years, but this Savior didn't align with what their expectations were. I can't imagine what he was going through. As a man, he experienced this rejection. He had done everything that he could. He literally came from heaven. He came and taught and preached and shared the gospel. He sacrificed his own life, and yet they still rejected him. You know, I think, what, how would we feel if we came to help one of our loved ones who were in need, and they were to reject us, they were to turn us away, saying, no, we don't want your help. He felt that rejection in every way. But we find in verse 12 that despite this, that there are those who receive him. And so what does it mean to receive him today? Receive him doesn't just mean to understand who God is intellectually. It doesn't mean just to have some head knowledge about some facts and figures about Jesus Christ. It means today that when we receive him, that we are receiving him to have a personal and intimate relationship with him, that we are ready to walk with him and talk with him and to have a real relationship. A personal relationship is how we can receive him today. 
You know, if we look back to verse 13, it says, or the end of verse 12 and into 13, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We see the scripture says that it's not our race, it's not our jobs, it's not our credentials, it's not our bank accounts, it's not our social status, it's not our good works that get us to Christ, that make us his children. None of these things are what make us his children, but rather he did the work. He did it. He did the work. His supernatural work on the cross is, is what it took for us to be his children. And all we must do now is believe in him. All we have to do is believe in him. Jesus is the son of God and came to make us sons and daughters of God. He came to make us his own children and part of God's family. We can become members of his family today if we were just to believe and have a relationship with him. You know, as wonderful as Christmas is, as we look and Santa and all these things, and, but we have to understand the message of the Bible is not about God keeping a list of who is naughty and who is nice. I mean, we've all sinned and gone astray. If that list existed, that would be miles long for me. It would literally wrap around this world probably dozens of times. But that's not what this holiday is about. We all deserve coal in our stocking. But for those of us who believe in Jesus, for those of us that are ready to have a personal and intimate relationship with him, we are given the right. We are given the right to become his children. And so the question is, is there anything stopping us today? Is there anything preventing us from believing on him and receiving him and having a relationship with him? My brothers and sisters, today we can celebrate the word became flesh that we may have life. Let us receive him today. May God bless you with these words.